All right, how are you guys feeling tonight? Everybody's doing good? My heart's like pounding. I'm nervous. Amaya students would know when I get nervous about giving a message, it's usually because it's going to be intense. So it's not that I'm nervous about preaching. It's uh, I'm really excited about the word that I'm about to give. So I want you guys to uh, just take a moment and turn to your neighbor and just tell them you're part of a powerful movement. You know, by the end of this message, this is my heart's desire. I believe that this is what God wants, that you would know that that's true, that you are part of a powerful movement, a movement that's worth protecting, a movement that's worth building, and a movement that's worth continuing. You know, joint prayer meeting, it started in 2008. That still kind of blows my mind. I still remember the first couple of meetings. And, and since 2008, I believe it was November, we've been meeting almost every single month to pray for this nation. And I don't know about you guys, but when I really sit down and I meditate on that, I feel God's pleasure over that truth. I feel his, his fire and his passion that he's connecting us to through that truth. What we are a part of, you and I, whether you just came this Saturday evening, whether you've been a part of it since 2008, what you are a part of is powerful and it is changing the course of this nation. See, God isn't interested in people just being passive viewers of what goes on. He's interested in people getting involved. You know, we're not part of something where God does everything for us. No, he engages his people to be a part of what he's doing. And that's what's going on here in this room. It starts in prayer. Before it goes into the government, before it goes into education, before it goes into families and societies, it starts in prayer. So what happens here as we intercede for this nation is so crucial. It is so critical. It is so powerful. And I feel like that there is a genuine momentum that's happening right now when it comes to the prayer movement for this nation, specifically in regards to North Korea. There is something that's stirring up as a pastor here in the city. And I, as I, you know, converse with other pastors, we all sense it. We all feel it. People that come to visit other ministers, they all sense it. They all feel it. Something is happening right now. God is stirring up something right now for North Korea. And it starts with our hearts. And I believe that there is a really incredible movement, not only that we're a part of, but a movement that's kind of being cultivated. It's more and more and more. And what I sense in my spirit is we got to get ready because there's about to be a tsunami of intercession that God is going to ignite for the reunification of Korea. Do you guys want that? Do you guys want that? You know, if there's one thing that I've learned is as I prayed for North Korea, my heart began to just burn for North Korea. 
When I first came to Korea, I had no idea what was going on in North Korea. Let me just be flat out honest. I was ignorant. And I remember being in college, I was so focused on my partying and, and my hanging out and my own life and my own needs. I remember one time I went to like a link event on my campus. And I, to this day, I don't remember what it was about. I don't remember what the, what the slideshow was. I don't remember. And it wasn't until I came here that God began to open my eyes. And it wasn't until I started to pray that I understood what God was doing. It's not about factual, you know, education. That's part of it. But it's not the only thing. Learning about what's going on in North Korea is not enough. It is about praying for this nation. That's when you begin to understand what God is truly feeling, his heart for this country, and what he's about to do. That's when you begin to engage. It's when you pray. You can talk to a lot of activists who understand what's going on in North Korea and say, man, you know, things need to change. They're, they're passionate. Some of them laying down their lives for that nation, giving up certain comforts in order to work for NGOs or, you know, travel undercover to North Korea. But let me tell you something. Unless they connect their heart to God's heart, they're still missing something. The idea of reunification for North and South Korea is not a worldly thing. It's not a political agenda. It's not a social agenda. It's not a justice agenda. It is God's agenda. So it's time that you and I not only get on board, because I know we're on board, but that we begin to open our eyes and see this continually. You know, I just got LASIK. And, you know, it's awesome. Seriously. Because I've worn contacts for si over 16 years. My first pair of glasses when it was when I was in third grade. Okay? And at that time, I mean, they would probably be hipster now, but they were ugly back then. <laughs> I had these, like, red-framed wire glasses. Third grade, I was, like, I don't know, eight years old. And I remember in eighth grade when I finally got to wear contacts, it was terrible because, I don't know, like, my eyes were always watering and blurry and, you know, burning, and I flipped it inside out and, you know, all this drama. Eventually, I got, you know, used to it. But having LASIK, can I tell you one pure convenience? So I don't have to put contacts in. When I wake up in the morning, well, right now, when I wake up in the morning, I have goggles and tape, so it's still not clear. I'm like, what's going on? But soon, when I can remove those crazy goggles off, um, I'm going to be able to see clearly. It's this continual 2020 vision. That's the, that's the amazing part of LASIK. It's not temporary 2020 when I put my con contacts in or put on my glasses. It's continual 2020 vision. And too many people in the prayer movement of North Korea, we put on our glasses of faith only when we come to prayer movements. When we come to the meeting, oh, we see 2020. Oh, when it's time to pray at, at your churches, all of a sudden it's 2020. But the moment you walk out, it's like you take those glasses off and we begin to forget what God is doing, what we're a part of. God wants to give us a permanent clarity when it comes to what he's doing right now. Right now, he wants to give us this vision, one that doesn't go off, one that doesn't, you know, dim down at the end of the day. One that's continual. And so as I was preparing for today, man, I just felt like just a, a prophetic word stirring in my heart. 
about what God is doing in North Korea, but more, more focused on our role to play. And as I was praying for this, God began to just reveal the story of Nehemiah. How many of you guys know the story of Nehemiah? Nehemiah is a book. I like how just two people, you know, y'all know the story of Nehemiah, right? Um, <laughs> here's Nehemiah, and he's part of a time where the Israelites have been spread out. Because of their disobedience, the protection of God was taken away from their nation. And Israel, Jerusalem had been taken over, run down, their walls down, the temple down, destroyed. And when the, the time of Nehemiah comes, the temple had been restored, led by Ezra. But the walls were still in ruins. And so here's Nehemiah. He finds out, man, the walls are still messed up. And his heart begins to burn. Isn't that interesting? Because most people are like, what's the big deal about walls? Hasn't the temple been restored? Hallelujah. Praise God. The temple's intact. That's fantastic. But why is it important for the walls? You see, to the people of God, when you understand the importance of walls, they knew that the temple and the wall were together as one. If one was in destruction, it wasn't complete. And Nehemiah knew that the temple's being destroyed. Something was not complete yet in the work of God. See, what walls do is they protect. When you have a city and that city has something valuable, you know, or just people in it in general, you need to be protected by wild animals, bandits, gangs, you know, whatever comes through, your walls protect you. And the temple was made out of exquisite things. I mean, of course, it wasn't that great, the second rebuilding of the temple, but still expensive things, sacrifices that people gave in order for the temple to be built. And if there's no wall to protect it, it's incomplete. If you have a treasure, but you leave it out in the open for anybody to take, would you feel safe? Would you feel good about that? To Nehemiah, the temple, which represented the very presence of God, could not continue unless the proper walls were built around it. The proper walls were built around the city. The protection was in place so that if anyone ever tried to come against the people of God, it couldn't happen. They would be protected, aware so his heart begins to burn so badly that he begins to mourn, fast, and pray. And in fact, he begins to repent. And something about Nehemiah that, of course, many pastors touch upon is the fact that he begins to repent not only for the sins of his fathers, but for himself. Why did the people of God need to repent? Because they disobeyed. That's what removed the hedge of protection. That's what enabled different you know, other um, people to begin to invade. And so here, Nehemiah begins to repent. God, forgive them. No, forgive me. Forgive us. You know, something that Nehemiah did that I know my husband will appreciate is he took responsibility. If there's one pet peeve that my husband has is he can't stand when people don't take responsibility. And if there's one thing I used to do all the time growing up is avoid responsibility. <laughs> Weren't you supposed to do that? I don't know. You didn't tell me. Well, do you, didn't you get that? I, don't, I didn't get the text message. You know, like just avoid responsibility. But here at Nehemiah, this man of God, he is so mushy. So let me tell you, as I break down the story, I'm just like, he's the man. But Nehemiah, 
One of the first things he does is takes responsibility. That's what many of us forget to do from the get-go. We look at the condition of this nation. We look at the condition of North Korea, and we attribute it to other people. We attribute it to our ancestors. We attribute it to, you know, uh, Kim Jong-il or Kim Jong-un or, you know, whichever North Korean leader you want to talk about. We attribute it to the church's division at the time. We attribute it to everybody except us. But God wants you and I, whether you're Korean or not, to join in on taking responsibility simply for the disobedience of God, the turning away from God, the not trusting in God to bring the nation together. He takes responsibility, and then he has the audacity to go up to the king and lay this request. He goes up to the king with this, like, sad face. He was a cupbearer. That means he would drink all the drinks of the king to make sure that none of it was poisonous. That kind of sounds like a really terrible job. Like, that's the worst job ever. But the reality of a cupbearer was that was someone of very high influence. A cupbearer had access to the king. Uh, The cupbearer, usually the king entrusted different secrets to the cupbearer. The cupbearer also was usually a high-ranking official. So it was a position of high honor. It wasn't like left for like this, you know, some random person or someone that didn't matter uh, in the king's eyes. It was a very trusted position. And so here Nehemiah has this place of very strong influence as a cupbearer. Even though it sounds like a terrible job to us, it was key at that time, and he goes in front of the king, and he begins to lay down his request. I want to return back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall. And the king's response is, it pleases me to let you do this. And not only does Nehemiah request it, and the king says, okay, but Nehemiah goes a step further, and he says, can you actually make sure to write me a letter so that every place I go to, that I would have a letter from you saying that I'm allowed to be here? Every single place. So he, every place that he traveled, whatever country he stepped into, he had a, an official king's you know, document saying that he was protected by the king in order to be in this place. The king sent him to Jerusalem. You know, I wonder if you know why you're here in Korea right now. Because we may not be talking about a Persian king for you, but I want you to know that we're talking about a heavenly king. And this king had everything to do with the reason why you're here right now, with the reason why you have a visa to be in this country, government documents, whatever it may be, you're here in this country because God has sent you. The king of kings has sent you here to rebuild the wall. Now, Nehemiah's story is filled with favor, but for some of us, it doesn't look like that, but let me tell you it is. Even if you got deported, favor. You came back because of financial difficulty, favor. You came back against your own will, favor. It may not look like it in the world's eyes, but trust me, because you're exactly where you need to be, you were brought here by God's favor. The king has brought you here. You know, I was talking to a sister at our Itaewon campus, Melody. And for months, she has been battling this visa issue at her school. Okay, I ran into her in the subway, and, you know, I've received, like, 50 emails from her uh, of what looked like breakthrough but wasn't breakthrough. Just so much issues that were surrounding her visa. Long story short, she doesn't really have fingerprints. I don't know. You can talk to her about that. (laughs) 
so getting her criminal records was really difficult. And so they were just constantly giving her the runaround, and time was running out. And it kept getting extended, but it was running out. You know, all these different situations. And I remember meeting up with her. We ran into her on the subway, my husband and I. And she stood there, and she looked at us, and she was just like, there has got to be some incredible reason, because it finally worked out. Like, supernaturally, it worked out. And she was like, there's got to be some reason, one, why the devil tried to attack my stay here, but two, that God let me, to, let, let me stay here. Melody, you're here because the king has shown you favor. Because you are destined to rebuild the wall here in Korea. That's one story. But let me tell you, whether it looks the same or looks different, that's your story as well. You know, when I first came to Korea, I got a job to teach at SMOE. I think it's called Epic now. But I got a job to teach public school. But when I got this job, I mean, I remember the first thing they asked me to do was send my diploma from, you know, college, which makes sense, right? You should send your diploma. And I remember thinking I was kind of wrestling, should I go to Korea? Should I not go to Korea? And I called my, you know, university and I was like, hi, can I get my diploma? I haven't gotten it yet. And they're like, okay, and it's, you know, what's your name? I was like, Erin Lee. So she looks and she goes, hmm, hmm, And I was like, well, <laughs> she's like, oh, and I'm like, oh gosh, what's going on? You know, up to this point, I had a recurring nightmare that um, I kept getting an F in class. So I'd have these dreams, like reoccurring. I probably had it like at least 20 times, different versions of it. Well, I'd get an F on a report card, and I wake up sweating, and I'm like completely relieved because it was just a dream, right? <laughs> so she looks at my transcript, and she goes, Miss Lee, it seems as though you haven't graduated. And I said, excuse me? She goes, you haven't. You're four credits shy of graduation. I was like, Miss... I got my cap and gown. I walked and got my fake diploma or whatever. My parents came and saw me. I graduated. She goes, no, according to your transcript, you had a class that you had an incomplete in, and it automatically turned into an F. And it was like every, you know, those dreams coming back. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. It was not a dream. Like, it was for real. And I freaked out. And she goes, I'm sorry, but you didn't graduate yet. Can you imagine? Like, forget Korea. Now I'm like, oh, my gosh, I got to tell my parents, hey, just kidding, Oma Appa, you know? Uh, I got to go back to school. Like, I was, it was crazy. And at that time, I was actually trying to turn my life back to God. But it was, like, kind of like a time of mixture, you know? I was still kind of doing drugs, but then going to, like, morning prayer and preparing for missions. You know, you know God took some time, all right? He took some time. And so I was kind of, you know, I remember the first thing was I called my friend and I was like, we need to get high right now. Emergency session here. And I remember calling my mom. She was like playing golf. And she's like, you know, in a good mood, which is, you know, was rare at the time. She was like, oh, Sienna. And I'm like, oh, gosh. And I remember telling her and her like flipping out. Like, are you an idiot? How did you not know? I never saw my advisor once in college. Ever. Like, I just didn't think it was necessary, you know? Like, why do I have to go see your advisor? Oh, to find out that you didn't graduate. And so I call. My mom's completely upset initially. And, you know, all this drama happens. Well, I, I find out what class this lady's talking about. And I remember the class, Okay. And so I emailed the professor. It was a class I took my, I think, my sophomore year of college. And so it was kind of a, a while ago. 
And my professor was supposed, I, I got an incomplete because I wanted a better grade. And my professor did a study abroad. She taught abroad for the next semester, so we both kind of forgot about it, you know? Okay, none of you guys have any <laughs> compassion for me, but um, we both forgot about, well, really, I forgot about it. And so I went and I emailed my professor, like, in a panic. Like, I have no idea if you even remember who I am, but I took your class and I got it incomplete. And, you know, now I didn't. I found out I didn't graduate, and I'm supposed to go to Korea, and I'm, you know, like, just pouring it all out. And I go to early morning prayer the next day with my mom after smoking weed the night before. And, you know, she, she goes, and we go together, and still, God, hey, God still speaks to sinners, amen? Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm in prayer at the early morning prayer, and I just, it's, it was a supernatural comfort and peace that came upon me. Like, I'm about to go to summer school. I'm so embarrassed. Like, it's one thing to ha- take another semester, but it's another thing to think you graduated, but you didn't. It's like, so embarrassing, you know? So I have this supernatural peace, and I go to the office where my mom worked, and I check my email, and I get an email from my professor. She goes, Erin, I totally remember you. I kept every single record during that time. You were supposed to get a B in the class, but you wanted an A, so I gave you an extra project, which you did not complete. So I went to the uh, office today, and I changed your F to a B. I hope that helps. I was like, what? And I turned to mom. I'm like, oh, my, graduated. (laughs) She hit me right after, but no. (laughs) Kind of like, and, and the funny thing was in this process of going through it, this desire to want to go to Korea all of a sudden got stirred up inside of me. Once it was like taken out of my hand, I was like, oh my gosh, I really want to go. <laughs> when I look back on it, it was quite supernatural. That whole process and even my professor remembering the fact that she so quickly worked in my favor. Everything was so supernatural. It's as if the king himself orchestrated every document that was necessary in order for me to be sent safely to Korea, which he did. Maybe your story isn't as dramatic as mine. You just literally filled out an application, you got the job, and you came. But guess what? Every step of the way, it was God that opened the door. You are here because the king has sent you. He has sent you. And he hasn't sent you to just chill, see the culture of Korea, fall in love with K-pop groups, you know, go to concerts and stalk your favorite star. It is because he desires for you to be a part of rebuilding the wall. What's the wall? The wall protects, and I believe that the wall represents intercession. It is the prayers of the saints that protect the city. It is the prayers of the saints that protect the presence of God from continuing to be cultivated. It's the prayers of the saints. We and our prayers are the very wall. So when I talk about the wall being rebuilt, I'm literally talking about you and I being rebuilt. You and I getting set on fire for intercession. You and I getting vision for a reunified North Korea. That's the wall being built. The prayers of the saints going up. God has made provision for you to come. The second thing that Nehemiah does as soon as he gets all the government documents is he goes and he checks out the situation. And he observes the wall before he even tells anybody what God has told him. Before he tells anybody his plan, he walks around the wall and he sees for himself the gates that were burned down, 
He sees for himself the stones that were broken off. He sees for himself the very destruction. And I believe this is the place where a lot of us are, are right now. We are observing the broken down walls. And unlike Nehemiah, you and I are so busy criticizing the damage. And oh my gosh, that is terrible. Look at that. The, what a shame, what a shame, what a shame. You know, we are so consumed. Even if you want to talk about it, observing Korea as a nation, how critical can we get? How easy is it to look at the strongholds of this nation? Oh, look at the vanity. Look at the plastic surgery. Oh, look at the, the, the situation of the, you know, human trafficking. How easy it is to criticize, point your finger, and just observe. Look. God has not called you and I to be observers. Yes, Nehemiah looked. And I believe he looked because he's not the type of man to just say, oh, I'm going to do it. He counted the cost. With every step that he took, he examined and he knew, okay, this is what needs to be done. This is how much a commitment I need to put in. He was a man that was heavy in his heart. But we're too quick to just stand and observe. To make little notes and, oh, put banners up. This sucks, you know. This burnt down here. This gate's, you know, broken down here. Yeah, you and everyone can talk about the falls of this nation. Anyone can come in here and criticize what's going on in Korea. But watch what Nehemiah does. He takes a good look at the situation and he says, come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem. That we may no longer suffer derision, another word for disgrace. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. And also the words that the king has spoken to me. And he raises up a movement because everyone in response says, let us rise up and build. It's powerful. Nehemiah wasn't an observer. He was a mover. He was a forerunner. He looked at the situation. He evaluated what was going on. He understood the strongholds, the pitfalls, the demonic works. And then filled with hope and faith, he said, come, it's time to rebuild. Come, it's time to set these walls back up. This is a man of faith. This is a man that knew he was sent by the king, not just the king of Persia, but the king of kings. Nehemiah was incredible. You know, this heart of Nehemiah is what I believe you and I are called to carry at this moment. Because Nehemiah didn't just go to rebuild. He stirred up a movement for others to join him. His very words prophesied hope to people around him because their response was, yeah, let us rebuild. That's a forerunner spirit. That's a man of influence. And watch this. The very next chapter is all about collaboration. It talks about the many people that began to return back to Jerusalem to rebuild this wall. People that came that were left because of the war, that was left because of the destruction that happened, that began to come back in. Does that sound familiar? Begin to return back home. And he begins to start this movement. It's time to build. And guess what? Each of them had this assignment. Okay, you're in charge of building this gate, and you're in charge of building this part of the wall, and you're in charge of, of this and that. People of all different skill sets, giftings, statuses. He began to move a collaboration. I believe that that is what God is doing right now, even here in this room. But get this, it's not just about joint prayer meeting. God has ignited flames of intercession for North Korea all around the world. You know, I was recently talking to my husband who met a man who's done 
a lot of traveling. It's this like spirit-filled psychologist, I believe. Psychiatrist. Isn't that the same thing? Okay. Um, yeah, no, it's not. I barely graduated, so let's remember that. Um, so it's like a thousand degrees up here. Okay. Um, and so this psychiatrist, psychiatrist, spiritual psychiatrist, God just kind of led him to travel the nations. And each nation that he went to, what he saw was incredible. He saw people praying for North Korea. He saw people praying in North Korea in Africa. He saw people praying in North Korea in Europe. And one of the, when he, my husband told me this, I began to, just my heart began to explode. He said, this man went to Israel. And in Israel, he saw people praying for North Korea. What? Woo! This is a collaboration. This is not just a JPM thing. It's not just one church. Nehemiah didn't foolishly say, I'm going to rebuild this wall by myself. Oh, I'm called. The king sent me. Watch me go. No, he understood I need the people. He began to usher in everybody, be a part of this movement. He knew it was bigger than himself. What you are part of is not just once a month, Saturday night here at JAPM. You are part of a movement that is happening all around the world. God's heart for North Korea is so big. He's engaging the hearts of everybody. How powerful is that? It is a collaboration. A collaboration. It's so much bigger than us. And that's the most exciting part. I don't know about you, but that's like really exciting that it's so much bigger than us. That even though we may not physically know these people that are praying, we can know, we can be assured that God is stirring up movements just like this one all over the world. We're all tuning in into God's heart. Now watch, because it wasn't just easy for Nehemiah. Oh, collaboration, yay, now we're going to rebuild the wall and it's going to be completely fine. No, as soon as the people around the area of Jerusalem found out that people were getting together to rebuild the wall, they began to rise up and the attacks began to come. And I want us to look specifically, if you guys turn to chapter 4, I want to break down these attacks that happened to this prayer movement. And I believe that this is the prophetic word for you and I. This is what I believe God wants to speak to us. It's no matter what comes our way against this prayer movement, we will not be shaken. We will not be moved. We will not slow down, but we will continue to pursue reunification. It's labeled in my Bible, opposition to the work. And here we hear of one specific enemy. There's many, but here's one that's first mentioned, uh, Sambalat. And he says a series of questions that are very key here that we're going to go attack one by one. Okay. We can look at verse two. It's all, it's verse two all the way to uh, verse three. So I'm just going to go one by one. What are these feeble Jews doing? That's the first question. What are these feeble Jews doing? Isn't that interesting? Feeble. Why that word? That spirit assemble that is attacking. You are weak. You are weak. Feeble. Are you kidding me? <laughs> what are you doing here gathering Saturday night? Like, are you serious? Like, who are you? Who are you? I know what you've done. I know what you're capable of. I know what sin you've committed. Who are you? Feeble, weak, the accusation of our very identity. First one. 
The second, will they restore it for themselves? Will they restore it for themselves? It's you're alone. Well, you think just your group, like you're going to be able to do this? You're alone and you're powerless. Remember, I just counter that deception just by describing the different prayer movements that are going on all around the world. This is not a JPM once a month thing. This is a movement that God has set ablaze, place after place, location after location, community after community. There is a collaboration alone. Are you kidding me? Number three, will they sacrifice? You know, these people that build the wall, they had to do it so quickly. And one of the reasons was because it's not like they were getting paid to do it. It wasn't their job. They were leaving their own jobs. They were leaving the sustenance of their work in order to feed their families, in order to, you know, provide the needs of their wives and their children. They were leaving that resource. They were sacrificing in order to build this wall. And so here the enemy goes, you're going to make that sacrifice? I think it's too expensive. What, Saturday night out of all the nights? I mean, Saturday's when all the fun stuff happens. Saturday is when everyone hangs out. Saturday is when your friend from the States flies in and wants to have a nice Italian dinner with you. What, be a part of a prayer movement? Oh, it's too expensive. To care about something like the reunification of Korea? It's too expensive. To waste your thoughts about that? Oh, that's too expensive. Will they make that sacrifice? I believe that God's heart for us is, heck yeah, I'm going to make that sacrifice. The fourth accusation and a question is, will they finish up in a day? Basically, what this spirit was saying is, this is going to take forever. Look at the situation of the wall and look at you and tell me that you think that this is actually possible. What, are you going to finish it in a day? It's this idea that we'll never be able to see it finished. This is an attack that happens time and again when we talk about the reunification of Korea. I mean, when is it going to happen? I mean, we know the damages. We understand the oppression. We know about the prison camps. We know about the soldiers that are starving. We know about the, the children that are dying. I mean, it's just too much. It's just too much. How, we, how are we ever going to see this completely, you know, this destruction, this oppression completely destroyed? The devil's trying to put a spirit of futility in our hearts. Number five, will they revive the stones out of heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? You lack provision. What do you have? What are you going to rebuild with? What kind of connections do you have? What government official really cares about what's going on? What educator honestly wants to see change? What kind of provision do you have do, that you think you could be a part of building, rebuilding something that's been so utterly destroyed? And the last one, yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Meaning all your work is done in vain. Your prayers, it's like, ding, 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 on like a great iron wall. You're not even making a difference. Nothing is really happening when you get together. Saturday night, oh yeah, you pray a little bit, you praise a little bit. Nothing's actually happening. Okay, maybe God is listening a little bit, but how much of that is actually affecting North Korea? <laughs> a little bit. These are the accusations that this guy is shouting out as they're literally building the wall. He's shouting out these accusations via questions 
And watch this. Again, remember I told you Nehemiah was Moshisa? This is his response. And the response of the people. Okay? Verse 4. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they're captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. What they understood was every accusation going towards them was really an accusation going towards God. And this was the response of God's people. Watch this. So we built the wall, verse 6. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. The key to break down the accusations that come against a prayer movement like this, that says what we're doing is not enough, you're too weak, we're barely making a dent in this huge, massive work of the enemy, is you put your mind to work. You begin to align your mind with what God is doing, who he says you are, what he says we're a part of, and you build the wall. While this taunting is happening, they build it half the height. Yeah, keep accusing me. I know who is for me. I know who is with me. I know with whose vision I'm building this wall. This was their response. How powerful. How filled with faith. You know, we may not have people protesting outside of JPN, but you better believe the devil's trying to attack you to not come to today's prayer meeting. And every Saturday night when it's time to gather, he's going to give you list after list after list why this shouldn't be that big of a priority. Why amidst other things that are going on, I mean, you know what? Let's just go to that or let's go to this. You better believe he's going to try to work it out because even you yourself as one person matters whether you come or you don't. Just as one person, you think, oh, man, but you know what? Church people, they got it. They got it. I know there's going to be enough people there. They got it. They got it. No, God is looking to you. He's looking to your response. He's looking to the spirit inside of you to engage what's going on. You better believe whether you show up or not, it matters. You need to be here. You need to be committed to building the wall. The second major attack is this. Starting from verse 7. Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem were, was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed and they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. The second major attack was to cause confusion. And I remember there was a story in the Bible where God caused confusion in the enemy's camp. And you know what happened? They began to fight each other. Isn't that interesting? When you begin to get confused, you forget who your enemies actually are. See, confusion is the basis for division. And often when it comes to prayer meetings, one of the first things the devil wants to do is to divide. Oh, you guys going to get divide. Stir up controversy here. Stir up this political spirit here. Stir up this issue here. Stir up this offense here. Let's divide what God is doing by causing confusion in the movement, having the people forget why they're building in the first place. But watch what the people have gone to here. If you look with me in verse 9, it says, and we prayed to our God. This is their response to the confusion that they're trying to, you know, come against. And we prayed to our God and set a guard 
as a protection against them day and night. Keep reading. In Judah, it was said the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. So the response of the people is we pray. You know, we actually have to pray for our prayer movement. Do you guys ever know that? It kind of like doesn't make sense, huh? It's like, why do we have to pray about praying, about praying, about praying? When you have a movement like this, you got to pray about the movement. You got to actually pray and set up guards around the prayer movement because the devil knows if you attack the prayer movement, I mean, we're out. What can we do? But when we engage God's heart, we're unstoppable. So their response to the accusation and the confusion was to pray. And then all of a sudden, the people of Judah begin to rise up. These are their own people. These are Israelites. Watch what they say. We just read it. The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we won't be able to rebuild the wall. Imagine other believers. You guys, this is too big. This is too much. This is too heavy of a burden. This is too, I mean, even when you think about it and your heart begins to just break, I mean, oh, it's so tiring, isn't it? Oh, and you cry all Saturday for three hours and you come home and you're exhausted. I mean, it's just too much weight to bear, too much rubble. And then the enemies, if you continue, they will not know or see till we come along and kill them and stop the work. They start trying to do some shady, like, insider attacks. But again, watch the response of God's people. Oh, no, even one more attack. At the time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. That means go back. You ever heard that from somebody you love? You need to come back home. What are you doing there? Girl, you better come back home. I remember when the heat was rising up for North Korea. And, like, I got a phone call from, like, relatives I didn't even know I had that were, like, you got to get out. You know, my mom was, like, what if the bomb hits your house? And, you know, and I remember the church people started coming up to me for counsel. Pastor Aaron, you know, my mom is freaking out or my dad is freaking out. And everybody's saying I got to return. And then my embassy contacted me. And we're, like, if something happens, I had to. It was, like, every, everybody was echoing, you must return. You must return. Listen, that voice is going to come at you. What are you doing in Korea? Go back home. When that happens, what must you do? Watch verse 13. Let's see what the Israelites do. So in the lowest parts of the space between the wall, behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And watch this, guys. Get this in your heart and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and for your homes. Why are you here? Because it matters. The response of the Israelites was begin to observe the places that were weak. This part of the wall was still low. And this was an open space. We all have our own little trigger points, don't we? Something that our parents say or something that we think where it's like all of a sudden you're ready to buy, buy a plane ticket out of here. In those very weak points, what do they do? They set up guards with spears and bows. 
Can you imagine what that means for us? We put the word of God in those places, those areas of deception. Oh, man, what am I doing? How am I wasting my time? You set up the guards of the word of God. You are called here. The king sent you. You're part of rebuilding the wall. Every weak area in your mind, you begin to set up kingdom mindsets. And above all, what do you do? You remember that it's not about you. Fight for your brothers. Fight for your sisters. Fight for your sons, your daughters, your wives. This is the key. Whether you're Korean, whether you're not, whether you're Korean native, whether you're a Korean expat, our connection to North Korea and what's going on in this country and in the northern side of the country is about family. Whether you look the same, whether you can't even relate at all, this is family business. You know, there's something different about hearing what goes on with someone that you don't know that went through this horrible experience. You're like, oh, that's tragic. But when it's your family member, oh, it's game over. Wait, what happened? Where are you? You need what? I'm going to be there right now. There's an urgency and there's a fire that gets inflamed when it's your people. This is where we need to change our minds. We need to renew our minds. We're not separated from Korean natives. We're not separated from the North Koreans. We are one people. This is God's people. We are family. And God is saying, fight for them. When you get that phone call, what are you doing there? I'm fighting. When you get that accusation in your mind, you're wasting your time. I mean, you didn't even major in this. Teaching English, are you kidding me? Yeah, that may look like what I'm doing on the outside, but I'm doing more than teaching English. I'm fighting. I'm fighting for my brother. I'm fighting for my sister. I'm fighting for my son. I'm fighting for my daughters. God wants you to begin to connect with how he feels. Remember, this is about his vision. To God, you think that there's a separation between us and the people that are walking on the streets right outside? You better believe that there's no separation Maybe in this context, it was a Jewish thing. It was an Israelite thing. But this is a prophetic word for us to understand that the people in North Korea that are in the prison camps, that's our brother. That's our sister. When you begin to wrap your mind around that, your heart will begin to burn. And going out to TGI Friday, say, hang out with your friends, will become a joke to you when you can be in a prayer meeting releasing the captives in the spirit. God wants to set our hearts on fire, guys. He's starting something right. Now he's starting, he's continuing to move on something that he started a long time ago. How have you connected with the people of Korea? I love what Pastor Myungwa said when she was leading prayer about that movie, Are You Ready? It was about, are you ready to love the unlovable? Are you ready to give to someone who's not going to give you anything in return? You know, there's like this tradition in Korean culture about weddings. It's like if you, you know, receive money in weddings, you have to keep clear notes about everything because that amount you receive, you have to return back to that family. It's like, where's the giving in that? You know what I mean? Like, it's not giving. It's just loaning until I get married and I get that money. And I remember my mom was so peeved about it because my brother and I got married uh, three months apart. So people were in a financial crisis. She's like, I can't get all my money back. All the weddings with people with five kids. And I was like, what is going on? Are you ready to be someone to give even when nothing comes back to you? That's love. 
That's true love, not expecting something in return, but giving because you received freely. That starts with just understanding they are my family. They are connected to me. We are connected. When you begin to think that way, it becomes a powerful revelation and it becomes a powerful fuel for us to pray with that same passion, that same heart that God has. See, the people around them, their faith was wavering. And you know what? The truth is, a lot of people, even believers, are not going to get what you're doing. Even Christians, good-hearted Christians, are not going to get what you're doing. They're not going to get why you're here. They're not going to get why you're working the job that you're working. They're not going to get why you're living in this country that sometimes racially profiles you or corrupts, you know, you don't get your paycheck or whatever. Maybe you face different injustices or, or whatever offenses. They push you in the subway. They're not going to understand. But this is where your heart needs to be convicted. I know why I'm here. Why? Because the king sent me here to re- build the wall. So they continued to build. And the, the, the enemy's attack got so severe that some people just straight up build and had a sword on the other hand. You know, it's like build one and, you know. And, and then they had other people that were just in charge of, of fighting whatever came to them. Just to wear off you know, any sort of army that might come their way. They had soldiers protecting the builders who had knives and swords in their hands as they were building. This is the mentality we got to have about our prayer movement, ready to guard it. Just because we come to pray doesn't mean this is all, you know, dandy. Guess what the devil is going to try to attack first, guys? It's the prayer. It's these meetings. And so even as we build our prayer lives, even as we build both privately, but I'm talking about corporately here, as a prayer movement, we got to fight to protect this. We have to fight to protect intercession. Sometimes you got to fight yourself and your own soulish thoughts other times you got to fight the deceptions that come through while, either in voices of loved ones or people who, you know, shouldn't really matter, but their words are all of a sudden cutting you, whatever it may be, every attack on your involvement and your commitment to the prayer movement of the reunification of North Korea, we got to have a sword ready in our hand to cut that down. This is a waste of time. You're wasting your time. You need to go home and get a good job and marry a hot wife. I'm going to do that here in Korea. You know, I know that not all of you guys are called to be here for an extended period of time. But trust me, you're here because God wants to burn your heart for this. Even if you're returning home in a year or two, watch. He brought you here for this purpose. Set you ablaze for what's going on in this nation. The last attack is directly directed to Nehemiah himself. And it was a hired 
I guess, like false prophet who tries to warn Nehemiah. If you look at verse 6, chapter 6. And this man gets sent to him. Well, they sent messengers. And it says, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. And that is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. This is someone that comes as like an honest, like I'm trying to help you out. Like, this is what I heard. You're rebelling being here. You're rebelling by building this wall. Like, there's rumors about you that are going on. This situation is bad. Here, let's counsel together. And watch what Nehemiah does. This is a man of discernment. He says, no such things as you say have been done. For you are inventing them out of your own mind. Okay, this is a man that understands what's true and what's not. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. I don't care what attack comes our way. And here's the prophetic word. It sounds very looming, but attacks are going to come. But the key is, no matter what comes, we will be ready. Our hands will be strengthened. We will fight down every accusation that comes our way. And our hearts will continue not only to burn for reunification, but we will continue to build for reunification through prayer. And by the end of chapter 6, so the wall was finished. Come on, somebody. The wall was finished on the 25th day of the month. In 52 days. 52 days. Watch this. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid. And they felt greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived, this is their enemies, they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. What God wants to do with you and I is supernatural. What he wants to do with us is so supernatural that everybody around us will be like, oh my gosh, that's supernatural. There had to be some being or something bigger than they are involved in that because what they accomplish and what they're doing in their prayer is unheard of. It is unprecedented. It is crazy. Even their enemies perceived, man, God must be with them. This is what you and I are called to. I don't know about you, but that excites me. It's not about living this, what the world calls exciting. When you start living for the kingdom, we're talking about real excitement here. Because what the world calls exciting is made by our own hands. It's what we can accomplish by ourselves. And you know what? By ourselves, we can accomplish a lot. That's the truth. We see a lot of great men and women do incredible things on their own without the Lord. But when you join and you partner with God, what you do and what you're a part of, super natural. When we pray like this, when we gather like this, we're entering in the supernatural. When we pray for something like the entertainment, you know, of Korea, when we pray for something like, you know, uh, the release of, of prisoners in North Korea, what we're playing into is supernatural. What we're stepping into is a supernatural because this is where we partner with God. It's right here. It's before you go to work. 
It's before laws are made. It's before things change in, in the government. It's before things change on a social front. It's in prayer. My message is simple. It's let us build. Let's build. Let's build the wall of Jerusalem. Let's build this wall of intercession for this nation. Let's protect it. Let's guard it. And let's build it. You know, I don't know why you come to JPM, but I believe this is something that God wants to stir in your heart. He wants to invite you in this this picture that has ignited all around the world, you guys. People in Israel are praying for North Korea. People in different countries of Africa praying for North Korea. Different areas in Europe praying for North Korea. In America, praying for North Korea. God wants you and I involved in this worldwide movement for North Korea. And I believe God's question to you is, are you in or are you out? This is what he desires, a fresh commitment tonight. This is more than just, oh, I'm going to come every Saturday because it's a leadership requirement. Oh, because my pastor's going to yell at me. No, this is so much bigger. This is like, I don't know what your heart, where your heart is at, but I know where God wants your heart to be. So I want you guys to just close your eyes. And you know what? Like me, let's just be real here. Some of you, when we pray for things like North Korea, your heart's not burning. Like you're not that excited about it. Maybe you're not even that aware of what's going on in North Korea. Then I want to encourage you. Be like Nehemiah. Observe the walls. Find find out what's going on in that nation. But don't just stop there and observe, but begin to pray. Because when you pray, God will burn your heart. It's in prayer. I want you guys to just close your eyes. God wants, God, God wants this to be a priority in your heart. You may have a lot of different things that you want to be praying for and a lot of different things that are happening personally in your own life, but, but listen, God wants this to be a priority in your life because this is a priority to him. He will take care of you Don't worry about you. He will take care of you. But who will take care of the broken? And who will take care of the orphan? And who will take care of the widows? And who will take care of the oppressed? And who will take care of those that are locked up, tortured for their faith? It needs to be you and I. We need to fight for our brothers. We need to fight for our sisters. We need to fight for the sons and the daughters. I believe that God wants to release a supernatural grace for the call to pray for North Korea tonight. He wants to pray for a grace on you. At this moment, to be completely set ablaze. Not just to be set ablaze, but to be like Nehemiah, to be discerning to carry such wisdom 
to be bold, to be fearless. He wants to put that spirit inside of you, the Nehemiah spirit, not only to pray, but to usher others into prayer, to begin to be influential and and begin to influence others. Man, just seeing you makes me want to pray. Just looking at your lifestyle makes me want to makes me want to understand God's heart for this nation. He wants you to influence. He wants you to rally. He wants you to forerun. And so every single person in this room, I want you to ask yourself, am I committed? And am I not I'm not just talking about, oh, I'm going to go. I'm talking about committed with your heart. I'm talking about committed in revelation. I'm talking about committed to the truth. I'm talking about committed to the fight, not just showing up. Not just showing up, committed to the fight. If you are committed, if you want to make that stance, whether you've been coming since 2008, if you want to say, God, today, I'm going to reaffirm my commitment. Or if you want to say, God, for the first time, I want to confirm my commitment to this prayer movement. If that's you, I need you to stand to your feet. I want you to begin to put a sign, not just for people around you. This is between you and the Lord right now. And when you stand up to your feet, it's you responding to the call of God. This is you saying, God, I'm committed to the fight. I'm committed to the fight. Come on, just begin to lift up your hands. I want everybody to just begin to pray in the spirit. I want you to begin to pray because God's going to begin to move.